Galatians chapter 2. Give you a moment to turn there and look at verse 20. It says this. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. Yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God, who loved me and gave himself for me. That'll conclude our reading this morning. And that's Galatians chapter 2, verse 20. The title of our message this morning, found from this text, though the words are not in it, are the secret to the Christian life. The secret to the Christian life. I pray this morning that the Lord would really help me to express what is in my heart, though it's very often difficult to express. I feel very often inadequate to say those things which are stirring in me because they're it's beyond words, and um, I feel that way this morning about this verse. I want this morning, um, I have a lot of deficiencies in trying to proclaim the word of the Lord. Uh, one of those, I know at times that I um, perhaps unintentionally come off harder than what I want to, and in regards to this verse this morning... I want you to know that this is, this is meant to be instructive. So I may get exhorting some this morning, uh, but in my heart at least is the de- desire to instruct about this verse. And I'll say this in two, two things before we really look at verse word by word in this text. That came to my mind as I was just sitting and, and contemplating what I might say. Um, this morning, there are per- obviously we all have different personalities and um, function differently, and they say opposites attract. And some this morning that are here may have a tendency towards control. And I don't even necessarily mean that in a negative way. There is a need for people who take control to rise up, and there is a responsibility to complete. And presumably many of you have risen to great success in part because you're willing to stand up and lead. And when something needs to be done, God has gifted you with a a good mind to analyze. You've no doubt applied yourself to school and other forms of professional development, and you're really good at it. And in one sense, that quality within you, and really all the sub-qualities that make up that successful quality of controlling a situation, or I hesitate to even use the word control, but really at the core of it, that's what it is, um, can be, can be helpful in various areas of life. But this morning, I want to really, and, and then I'll pause for a moment and say there are forms of control that are not good. Um, 
If you were around me enough, you would know that there are just some things that I like the way that things are, and there's not really a rhyme or a reason for it. Right? I don't like the page being stapled at a diagonal. I like it straight. Right? And I like a black pen. I don't like blue pens. Right? And so anything that I'm touching, if somebody hands me a blue pen to sign at the bank, I reach in my coat pocket and I get out a black one. Right? Um, and obviously I use that as just silly, humorous examples, but then there are forms of control that are not good. That we want things our way because they make us comfortable, because we fear what others may do if they're in control, and it may cause us discomfort. It may, we just may not like it. And though that quality can be a good one if applied in, a, in the right way in the world, that same quality can be, begin to be a dominant personality trait and is very detrimental to the Christian life. I would say it could be one of the most detrimental qualities you can have in the Christian life is control or seeking control. Because at the heart of what God exhorts us to all through the scriptures is to release control. And so it's very hard, just naturally speaking, to spend 40 or 50 or 60 hours of your life, plus perhaps your home life where you have certain responsibilities with children or whatever you might have, and in all those manners you're controlling And then suddenly, when it comes to the Lord, you just release control. I think anybody can admit that that's a tough, nearly impossible dynamic. Really hard. And so this morning, to each situation, I'm not going to try to apply it. I think God can help you and reveal to you where some of these truths need to be applied. And I'll mention this. The longer you control, the harder it is to let go. The longer you develop relationships where you are at the helm, it's harder to let go of that control with those people and with the the byproduct circumstances that you might control otherwise. But it is absolutely essential in the Christian life that you don't try to control your life. It's impossible to please God if you are determined to control your own life. That's a big statement to make, but please hear it out. It's impossible to please God if you are set on control. And that's thing. Because God is not bound by your expectations and desires. He's not going to just, you know, sprinkle his magic and make things the way you want them. And yet, we have this temptation to believe then, to misconstrue that and think, well, then he's going to give me less than my desires. And I would contend it's quite the opposite to an extreme. 
The moment that we accept we don't know what we need is a very freeing moment. I didn't say didn't understand it, but really accept it. I don't know what I need at all. I don't even know a little bit of what I need. God alone does. He knows my person at its greatest depth in places that I don't know. He understands, he understands what awaits in my relationships, in the unfortunate circumstances that might lie ahead of me, in whatever. He knows. I don't. And thus, as each moment ticks away in my life, and God allows things to be orchestrated in my life at His doing, who knows if what God is doing today is not meant to prepare me for something 40 years from now. And that it is absolutely essential today for my future well-being and for the well-being of people I don't even know yet, grandchildren I don't even have yet, that these various circumstances unfold the way they do, And rather than trying to grab control and twist and turn and fight what the providence of God has laid out. But with as much peace as I possibly can to pray for God's grace to accept the road I am presently on. Acknowledging that perhaps some of it is due to my own sin that must be repented of and must be run from. But also that there are just things that I need to abandon control. Listen, at this, when the moment somebody gets saved, that is the essence of what they are doing. Is you are 100%, all of your biases, all of what you think you know is right, that might even be right. You're completely saying, Lord, I don't know anything. I don't have anything, both now and forever. I am yours, and I am trusting you above all. And when a person yields control of themselves, the moment they yield absolutely, absolute control to God is the moment God saves a person. I've often thought, and I've probably expressed that analogy before, that If you imagine somebody up, and I've heard this story of someone before, up on a barn, and the barn is on fire. Somebody's there ready to catch him, but yet it's two or three stories high. It's a basic understanding of what they need to do. And yet, the completion of it, losing control of your life, trusting another one will catch you, is much harder than the intellectual obstacle to understand. And yet, what these Galatians did is they initially did that. Yielded control to God. And then after a period of time, there were these men that came in that tried to convince them of other things. And we'll talk about that in a moment. And so they started retreating back to these other things that they thought would be profitable to them in honoring God. And 
Paul, in the very next couple of verses, in chapter 3, says, Oh, foolish Galatians, who hath bewitched you? And he asks him this question, Did you receive the Spirit by performing the law or by the Spirit of faith? And then he goes into that. And so, that's the first thing I wanted to say before we look at verse 20 this morning. If you're somebody who likes to control things, I hope that you'll let the Lord speak to you today through this verse. The second thing I'd like to say is this. As I was... This verse has been on my mind all week. And the other day I was sitting on our porch. And my wife was walking with our children and um, a couple of our children and our dog. And our dog doesn't have a leash when she walks. She just kind of follows. And she stays relatively close. And it wasn't but a day or two later. I was sitting up out there on the porch again. And, and there was another lady, older lady, and she had two dogs. And they were just pulling her real hard. And everything that walked and everything that breathed and even things that didn't breathe, they were just barking at. You know, they were running all over. And, and she was just out of control because she had these two things that she was pulling her all these different directions. And as I was, had been contemplating this scripture, it reminded me a lot about what we do in life. And that is that there are certain things that lead us. And rather than think of it, instead of us having a leash on it, it has a leash on us. And we willfully leash ourselves to those things. So for some people, it's emotion. And their life is great when they feel good. And they're happy and they're jovial and their relationships are strong when they feel good. And so... They're just led all the time by their emotions. Well, common sense tells you that circumstance is going to dictate your emotions. And so in truth, they're led around by their circumstances. If things are good in life and there's not a lot of work and everything's comfortable, then they're happy. And if unfortunate things happen to them or they're not enjoying certain relationships like they wish they were, and their behavior changes, and their life is different, and they're just governed. Everything's pulling them. Somebody is, some people, it's ambition and their appetites. They just have an appetite for certain things. To be seen as smart. To be seen as successful. To accomplish some accolade within their field. And so, what governs their whole life, what pulls them around is whatever will cause me to get that, that's what I'm going to let pull me. For some people, it's other people. Perhaps you have a more passive personality, and you're with somebody that has a more dominant personality. And as is tendency in relationships, we can become passive to people. And So then all we're doing is we're looking to please them. Whatever I can do to please that person is what I'm going to do. A lot of other things I could mention this morning, but I think you get the point. We hook up to things, and they pull us around. But the Bible teaches us a different principle. Jesus doesn't do that. He's not even asking you to hook on to him. He's not. He's not somebody that's going to pull you and say, hey, I'm going this way. You're coming with me whether you like it or not. No, much like 
our little dog, June, is almost as long as we've known. There were a couple times that she ran off and we couldn't get her. But for the most part, we didn't train her. It's just her temperament. She just wants to follow us. And so she'll, as we're walking, she'll get off a little bit into somebody's yard. And I'll kind of snap my finger a little bit. And it kind of gets her attention. And she comes and she begins to follow. Then we'll walk a little further. And I mean, far as I know, I haven't tested her. But we can go pretty far. And she just kind of lingers in. Sometimes she gets into things that I, I wish she wouldn't. Sometimes she does things on neighbor's yards that I wish she wouldn't, if you know what I mean. But... The most place, she just follows. And really, from her vantage point, it's a pretty good deal. She gets to explore, see things that she never would be able to see otherwise, do things she would never get to do otherwise. But it's because our relationship is built upon freedom and trust. I only take her to places. I don't, I don't take her out to 231. Because I know it's too dangerous for her. This morning I want you to know in the Christian life, one of the big misnomers that people have and one of the reasons why people are very often, certain types of people, are just desperate to know what the Bible says is because they're trying to yoke themselves to a set of rules. And they think by yoking themselves to that, that then they will be pleasing to God. But Christ has called us, and what the book of Galatians gets to in chapter 5, and and I'm not going to do a whole overview of this book, is that we've been called to liberty, freedom. We're not yoked, in a sense. We're not leashed, and then driven this way, and driven that way. But there is this yielding of ourselves to God. And in verse 20, it is really the hinge upon which that relationship is built. So I want to go through this verse very, very slowly in the sense of word by word. And look at this. Because this is truly, if you want to be pleasing to God, and you want your Christian life to be one that is full of His presence... This is vital. This is it right here. The first word is I. Oh, okay. You're really going slow today, right? It says, I am crucified with Christ. It is, I've never heard somebody give a sufficient explanation to what a person is. Because people are so complex. Like we have, there's so many dimensions to who we are. There's so many things that come together to make us, us. And so Paul is speaking of himself. And he's speaking of every, if you want to call them layers of a human being. Your emotions, your ambitions, your intellect, your natural limitations, your personality, your heart, whatever, however you want to sub-segment the person, Paul is talking about the entirety of our being. Everything about you is who he's about to talk about. 
And then he uses a word that is the present tense. I am something. And that's really important. Because what he's about to say is that we're going to be put to death. And yet people like to have this imagination. It's very easy to fall into this habit of thinking that my Christian life is I have, I've reached a certain plateau, like I've gotten a certain medal. I can't uh, think, uh, uh, perhaps the Boy Scouts, or, or perhaps in karate. If you're in some kind of uh, karate, you know, you get a, a, a certain belt color, and then you work your way to the next belt color, and then you work your way to the next belt color. And the idea is, when you have the one belt cover, you have mastered everything from that side down. That's not how the Christian life works. We don't ever gain a mastery over something necessary. We can mature, and things which used to be stumbling blocks to us are much less so than what they were, but we're always subject to the possibility of falling to anything, to regressing to anything. You've never reached it and then don't have to worry anymore. And so what Paul is talking about here, and there are many older Christians which have lived a full Christian life and have submitted themselves periodically throughout their life to serving God. And they have these monumental experiences throughout life where they say, you know what, I really yielded myself and God really worked in my life and there was fruit. And then there comes this mentality later on that because I have done that means that I am doing that. And that is not the case. He's saying, I am crucified with Christ. He reiterates that another way and says, I die daily. You see, a surrender of self to the control or to the yielding of Jesus Christ is not a momentary thing. It's a perpetual thing. And that's part of what makes it so difficult I mean, you know that, don't you? That you'll have seasons in your life where God's word, spiritual need, lost people, your own spiritual development is just at the forefront of your mind. And God, through his grace, is empowering you to put those things down which often are stumbling blocks to your spiritual growth or towards having a burden for others or towards walking in the Spirit. And God, for this period of time, He allows you to just completely discard those things and you live in the Spirit and you walk in the Spirit and it's such a joyful time and you think to yourself, you know, I'm really doing it. Like a kid riding a bike without training wheels. I'm really doing it. And then all of a sudden a turn comes or a car comes and you slam on the brakes and you lose your balance and you fall. And that's very often how the Christian life is, right? That for a period of time, God helps us to whatever sin, as the Hebrew writer says, that often so easily besets us, sets us back. God helps us through his grace and through his spirit to subdue that. And we really live. And I've heard it said in testimonies, even in this very church before, I don't want to go back. I remember particularly in a revival one time, there's somebody that said that. You know, we were in such a good spirit of services and people's minds were focused on the Lord and nothing else seemed to matter. And somebody made that comment, I just don't want to go back. And I feel that way often. 
When I know that God is with me and I'm feeling his presence and fruit is being is blossoming in our presence. And I think I don't want to go back to the norm. And so Paul is telling us there's a sense to which this is every day. I am crucified with Christ. Jesus' life is a miracle for many reasons. But one of the reasons it's a miracle, one of the reasons it's just mind-blowing to consider is that every second of every day he lived perfect. I don't know, and I I say this tongue-in-cheek kind of, I don't know which is harder, living every single day dying or dying once upon a cross. Both of them are beyond my comprehension. I mean, don't you realize that Jesus died every day? Because his affections and his will was subjected to the Father every single moment of every single day. He never deviated deviated course for a moment to get some personal satisfaction of pleasure and retain control of his life and say, you know what, just for a night, I'm going to enjoy my own life and do things the way I want to. Christ never did that. Whether the impulse was there, he never gave into it. There's a sense to which Paul is teaching these Galatians. I am every day crucified. Now, what an interesting word to to use here. What a hard word to use here. I am crucified with Christ. Now, here's what I want you to imagine. This is at least how I, I can envision it. I don't like giving this because it's very simplistic, but I, I feel like it'll really accentuate the point I want to try to get to this morning. You have, as the Bible refers to it, a flesh, and in it dwelleth no good thing. It is set, this flesh of yours, this part of you, is set fully on sin. It wants control of your life. It wants to dictate everything you're going to do and everybody around you. It's set on that. And if you've been saved by God's grace this morning, there's another part of you. And it's a spiritual man that is fashioned the likeness of Jesus. He's perfect on the inside. He is set completely towards righteousness and glorifying God and your eternal well-being. And the Bible teaches us in the book of Romans that there is this, that your body in which dwells the spirit is at war. 24 hours a day, seven days a week. And the two that are warring are not like two former allies that are just kind of not getting along. They're two absolute enemies that have their goals set on the most opposite things you can imagine. One is fleshly fleeting pleasure and one is God's glory and the eternal well-being of others and yourself. And they just fight all the time. They just fight. And so Paul... Considering it from the elevated position, considering it from the spiritual vantage point, takes no mercy on the fleshly man. He says, I am crucified with Christ. 
I want that man to be completely put to death. You know what often, what often leaks in, where Satan often subtly leaks into the Christian life is when we begin to justify our fleshly desires and say, well, there's nothing wrong with that. Right? So I'll give you an example. I like to play basketball. I like to watch basketball. And so I might say, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. Well, that, that comment takes some explaining. It, it really does take some explaining. There's nothing wrong with it as long as God permits it for your life. But what about when I was a senior in high school and God told me to quit? Because I'd just gotten called to preach. And God wanted me to, he knew my personality. And if I was going to be a basketball player, there wouldn't be room for the ministry. Because I was a, a basketball player. I couldn't do it halfway. I couldn't seek God first and his kingdom. Seek to proclaim the gospel in a way that he desires. And at the same time, have that as an accessory. Now I say that's because of my weakness. There may be men who could. I could not. And so God said, get rid of it. So I remember sitting there with the coach prior to my senior year and just crying. And I I was so embarrassed. You know, sports is this masculine thing. I'm sitting here with this masculine man who's been my coach for a few years, and he's never seen me like this. And I'm just crying because what I'm recognizing is there's no way he's going to understand that God has revealed to my heart the two cannot walk together agreed. One is set after ambition. One is set on selfish glory. I knew that about my heart. I knew that about myself. The other was set on God's glory. Paul said, I took no mercy on my flesh. Whatever God wanted, that is what he would pursue. And listen to me tonight, this morning. This is the place where most Christian people draw back. And at the core of it, it's because... I I think this is at the core of it. They just don't trust God. They just don't trust him. They think, because perhaps what's happened is this. You've yielded yourself to a boss. You've yielded yourself to a spouse. You've yielded your will to a, a, a friend or to a parent. And they have abused and taken advantage of your yielding. And so you've conceived this idea that rather than be abused, I'm going to maintain control so that I'm never abused again. And so whenever the preacher gets up and when the word of God says you need to completely surrender, you need to yield yourself, you need to crucify the flesh and all of its appetites and yield yourself to God, what immediately Satan rushes into your mind, our carnal fallen minds, flood our thoughts with is, you know what? That is the place that's going to lead to to pain. You're going to be miserable. And if you know the person of God, you know that that is the absolute furthest thing from the possibility. When I consider for a moment, I would never be able to express it, and I don't want to make this about me. When I consider about a moment, my ambitions when I was sitting at 18 years old, And if I completed all of those, and listen, I've been around people who did what I was, had the ambition to do. Like I've been around them. 
and they achieved and they did those things. And when they begin to flesh out what the heart and substance of their life is, really is, I want no part of it. No part of it at all. And I think about what God has reserved. And it's so much greater. It's so much better. And that is so often the ignorance of youth. Is the illusion that you know what you want and need. And yet if we were all honest we could say I have no idea. And yet the scripture says I am crucified with Christ. Well, that's one of the things that I love about Jesus. That's one of the things I love about our God. Is that he calls us to tread the path that he's already walked. He's not telling you to do something that he doesn't know exactly what it was like to walk that path of complete submission to the will of God. He knows what it's like to be deprived of his own will, to want something and forego what he wants for the will of God the Father. He knows what that's like. And the Bible tells us that because he yielded himself, that God has exalted him to a place higher than any other name. That he has been rewarded. You know, I I wish, you know, if if we could glimpse for a moment into eternity. We often talk about it with hell. Let's, let's flip that. If we could glimpse for a moment eternity in heaven. First, I don't know that we could survive it. Just a glimpse. The glory of that place. But I think if we could just encapsulate for a moment, if it could be revealed in us, the, um, the dynamics of that place. Because down here, it's those who control the most and are the most successful and the most... Talented and the most skilled, they're the exalted ones, right? And those that are humble and meek and surrender and submit and don't have a will of their own but yield it to eternal things, they're the abased ones. And in heaven, it's not that way at all. Here, Paul says, I'm crucified with Christ. Christ was crucified. Not only in that moment, but then he gets into the paradox of, hold on. I'm crucified with Christ, but I'm living. That's a paradox. Crucifixion leads to death. He says, nevertheless, I live. You see, what he's saying is this. This man over here, this fleshly man, is dead. If you've never had those times... I know I'm going to be inadequate in expressing these things, and so please be gracious and hearing because you can interpret it a lot of different ways and I don't mean it this way I want to give you one example of the way that my brain functions and how that I am in this fleshly man okay I'm a very calculated person very calculated for a series of reasons probably that includes my giving to people always been very calculated so when I would come to the old Union Minister School and I'd sit in the missions conference and I would see these, all these men and women get up and they would talk about the mission work they're doing and all around the world, my heart would just bleed. I want to help. I want to help. And I would think if I had a million dollars, I'd just give it all away. Because there's so many good things and so many needs and so many people and so much hurting. When I walked the streets of Africa, it just broke me to see these kids that are just 
not smiling and not moving. They're just hurting. And I would think, I just want to meet your needs. I just want to help you. And yet I'm so limited. And not only was I limited by circumstance, but please hear me this morning. I was limited by my own mind and will. Because in my mind, there was a calculated way to give. And I could not exceed that. You say, well, why? And you could get into all the common sense reasons like, well, you got to provide for yourself. I know that. I'm not talking about being a bad steward of your money. That's not what I mean. I'm not talking about being reckless. I'm talking about following the Spirit of God as He inclines your heart to act and move. And I would meet these people and I'd listen to these circumstances. And I would feel like God's Holy Spirit was saying, Give. Give. Help. Give of yourself. Not only in the financial sector, but if I would meet somebody who, 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 was, who was struggling, they were a stranger. All the things that would pop into my mind, well, they could be faking it. They could be after you. They could do all these things to harm you. And yet there was occasions where I'd meet those people and God's Holy Spirit would say, help them. And yet I had these boundaries that said, no, you can't. And here's all the reasons why. Here's all the practical reasons why. And one day we were overseas with a friend. And he does not live that way. Him and I are as opposite personalities as you can get. He's not calculated at all about anything. Right? And we go over to Africa together, and I think I've shared this with some of you privately. He, he's getting in all these situations, and he hears these stories. And I just noticed we'd get places, and, and he'd just pull out money and just hand it I mean, $100 bills like they were dollars. And, and, and I say that in jest in part. He wasn't being reckless. He was, just, he was given to people in need. Feed kids at the school. Feed men at a prison that he just preached to. Help a widow woman who didn't have anything. He just started giving of himself. So one day I, I looked at him jokingly. And I said, man, you're giving those away like you got them. And he looked at me dead serious. And he said, I'll just go home and get more. And he was being serious. I hope you can see what I'm trying to say. He wasn't being funny. He was saying, God has told me to give when I come over here. To help where I can help. And I'm not going to be confined by these thoughts in my mind of how that Brad Hicks or somebody else says, this is the way you should give and this is how you should give. When we heard the, the remarks last Sunday night about Pakistan and in all of my mind, I think, okay, you go and do mission work in places that are safe where you're going to come back, where you can gradually do things to help the people. And yet God told Brother Kent Welch, go to Pakistan and risk your life to spread the gospel. And that falls outside of my acceptance My flesh, this man says, you can't do that. But what if the reality is the Spirit of God is speaking to your inner man and said, you must do that. You must do it. And so the war begins inside, doesn't it? Oh, and it's torturous. Let me back up. It can be torturous. It usually is torturous. But it doesn't have to be torturous. Paul says this. Crucify that man. And yield to the inner man. 
Do that which God is calling. Listen, these dynamics are applicable not only in some missionary going overseas, not only in some people being generous to people in need. These things are applicable in every single area of our life. The way we love our spouse. Your inner man's going to rise up, tell you certain things about what you deserve as a spouse. Excuse me, the outer man is. And the inner man is going to lead you how God wants. And you have a choice in that moment. Parenting. Here's how I would define parenting in one word. Exhausting. Right? And very often, many of the responsibilities of parenting, especially at the age my children are at, I just want to stop and have a break. And don't, don't psychoanalyze. I'm not saying you can't have a break. I'm not saying there aren't apples. Jesus, I know that. But there are some times where that is driven by the outer man's selfishness. And the inner man says, pour into them. Show them hard work and sacrifice and love. Give of yourself. Condescend to their lowest state. And then my outer man can go and get online and read all the, the, the mind of the world that tells me you deserve this and you should get this. And you. Paul here takes no prisoners. Put that man to death and live through the Holy Spirit. I want to, I want to begin to close here with these last few words. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. He says, you know, when you, when you choose to surrender to the Holy Spirit and live by the Spirit, it doesn't fit the constructions of the carnal man. There have been times where I felt compelled to give, and I knew it was the Lord. You can doubt that, and you have the perfect right to doubt that. But in my own heart, I had the confidence it was the Lord. And it was beyond what I felt comfortable doing. And God said, give. So then I have to choice. And there's sometimes where I haven't done that. And there are sometimes when I have done that. And let me tell you, God has never left me forsaken. Ever. Once. Rather, what God has often done is enlivened me whenever I surrender to the Holy Spirit. Listen, this morning, Paul, and I've done a poor job explaining it today, is talking about putting down our carnal mans. Here's one thing that I've, I've found sad and strange. You ever hear somebody say, you know, they're, they're dating somebody, and they've been warned by people. They've been told, you know, that person's character qualities, eh, be careful about that. And then maybe somebody else who really cares about them, the relationship begins to deepen and the person comes and another person, family member, whomever says, man, really be careful. You know, that person's exhibiting qualities that I don't know. And then people have before, Christian people have used what I call the God card. God told me to X. Where a job promotion comes up that is going to Suck away your time and energy from other things. And the person's confronted about not wanting to, and they say, God told me to take it. I could go on a list of things, and 
it struck me one day when I was just a teenager, man, God only seems to do things that people really want to do. You know? And God just always says, yep, sounds great. Go ahead and miss every other Sunday because of your job. Paul said, no. See, these people were getting caught up and they were yoked to this law. And Paul goes and he gives all these reasons here in chapter 3 and chapter 4. We're to live by faith. We're to walk by faith. We're to live in the Spirit. Here's what he says in in chapter 5, and I'll be done. Stand fast, therefore, in the liberty wherewith Christ has made us free, and be not entangled again with the yoke of bondage. You have a choice with your life. And I would especially echo this to young people who, man, I wish, I wish you could know how it, it's been revealed in my heart because it's, it's just not poor, it's just poorly expressed today. Be careful what you leash yourself to. Oh, be so careful. Be careful to take the advice of well-intentioned people. Be careful. Christian young person, be careful. I've heard parents before give awful advice. Parents, be careful that what is driving your advice is not the carnal man in you who wants to see for the carnal well-being of your child. Who wants to live through them. That perhaps there might come some pride in you of, look at what my child does. Look how successful they are. No, 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 no. I don't want that. I don't want my child to be some, got more doctorate degrees and win more Pulitzer Prizes and Nobel Peace Prizes than any other person. I don't want that for my kid. I want one thing. What God bore them into this world for. That's it. That's it. That's all that matters. This morning, I pray that God would help us to die to self and live because I'll say this, if you've, if you've ever had those moments where you have lived in the Spirit, he said in Galatians 5, if you live by the Spirit, then also walk by the Spirit. Or in other words, if you came alive by a yielding of self to the Holy Spirit, that's how you got saved? Walk that way continuously. Never forget, and I've told you this before, when my dad told me that after being called to preach, I fought it and I fought it and I fought it in my own heart and mind. He promised me he'd never say anything to anybody. But he said, Brad, actually called me Bradley. He said, God has this life planned out to you that has the utmost joy you could ever experience. When you begin to choose what you think you need and what you think you want, you begin to fall short of what God's, the joy, the utmost joy you could ever have in life. And I sat there on his couch early in the morning and I've told you before, it just made sense. And it still just makes sense. God, my creator, who knows everything about the past, present, and future and all the relationships I'm going to have and all the need, all, he knows all of those things. And I know nothing of those things. And I'm going to be the one 
That's the brains of the operation controlling everything. It just doesn't make sense. I might as well give Callan control of my life. As it relates to the future, and I'm serious about that. I mean, he knows as much about what's going to happen tomorrow as I do. He knows as much about my need in Christ as I do. And yet my creator, who sees how many hairs fall off my head is as attentive as he is to me. I think many people who they get saved and they live in moral obedience to God, but they don't live a surrendered life to God. A lot of people do that. And then they hear people who live a surrendered life to God just rejoice about how great God is. And there's a part of them say, yeah, God's good, but why are you acting like that for? It's because until you fully surrender and live by faith and step out of the boat, you can never understand what it's like to walk on the water. And the exhilaration and the presence of Christ causing miraculous things to occur. You can never know. You can sit and watch. And when you get back around the campfire and he's saying, it was amazing. And you say, well, I mean, it was cool, but it wasn't really that big of a deal. Well, yeah, you weren't out on the water. You weren't beginning to sink and have Christ pull you up. You didn't feel his embrace when life was about to be lost. You don't know. I think of that very often when I hear men speak like last Sunday night about going to Pakistan and literally putting their life on the line. And I think, yes, you're living. You know what real living is? I don't. I don't. You don't have to go to Pakistan to do that. You just got to yield to what God calls you to do when he calls you to do it. I'll say this. Golly. My, my outward man is so adversarial to the, what the Spirit demands that I will constantly find myself trying to fight what God's will is. Because let me do, I just want it my way. And then there are times where God just says, do this. And when I finally yield, I say, okay, Lord, I'm just along for the ride. You want me to give? That's what the Macedonian was. It the Macedonians, I think, in 2 Corinthians? I can't remember who. Gave above what they were able, it said. Gave above what they... And they wanted to give more, but they couldn't. This morning, the secret to the Christian life is yielding ourselves to God. I pray this morning, said at the very beginning... I meant for that to be more instructional than anything, and I pray that it would be some benefit to you. The depth of that verse, I cannot, I just poorly express this morning. I pray that it would be a help to you.